I always enjoyed entrepreneurship. And I didn't know that term as a kid. It, it, I actually, I learned it as a kid, which I'll tell you in a second. It's a funny story, but I just liked selling stuff. I liked finding products. Um, and, and my first product when I was really little was rocks. So like my parents always make fun of me, but at like three, I would collect rocks in the neighborhood and go door to door and try to sell people their own gravel. Um, give earning me the nickname rock man. Uh, but I love the thrill of like giving somebody something and in return, getting some money for it. And so as I got older, uh, that turned into collecting golf balls at a local golf course. And I built a, a little golf ball shack and I would sell the golf balls. So then people lose their balls. I sell them back to them. It was like a step above selling them their own gravel. Um, and then the internet came around and, and when I was like 12, 11 or 12, um, that changed the game. And I got on eBay and realized, holy cow, I can sell anything to anybody. No one has to know I'm a little kid. I just have to provide a good product and a good experience. Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs and the hosts who've made them memorable. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Sponstaneous, a free weekly newsletter that brings you a carefully curated list of last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. Sign up at Sponstaneous.com. I'm your host, Zach Cruz. Enjoy the show. SEO, paid search, and email marketing. You know they are the marketing trifecta that you need to build your brand and increase direct bookings. But outside of watching a couple YouTube videos and listening to a few STR podcasts, you haven't had the time to really understand things like how Google ranks content or what subject line and preview text combo are the best when sending an email to your list about last minute availability. If you're listening to this podcast, Chances are you're not just any run-of-the-mill STR or vacation rental host. You're an entrepreneur who wants to see their portfolio of homes and the brand that encompasses them grow. And this week's podcast sponsor, Build Up Bookings, can help you do just that. Build Up Bookings is the digital marketing team that some of the best players in the game use to scale their businesses. I had their founder, Conrad O'Connell, on episode 44 of this podcast. And let me tell you, this guy knows his stuff. In just the last 12 months, Build Up Bookings has helped their clients earn over $48 million in direct bookings. That's $48 million. If 90% of your bookings are coming via the Airbnbs and Verbos of the world, it might be time to audit and augment your direct booking strategy. And Conrad and his team have set up a special landing page for Behind the Stays listeners that is chock full of free resources to help you do so. Head on over to buildupbookings.com forward slash BTS, that's BTS as in behind the stays, to learn more. And be sure to request a free marketing strategy session with Conrad and tell him that Zach from Behind the Stays sent you his way. Again, that's buildupbookings.com forward slash BTS. In just a moment, you'll meet Joel Holland, CEO of Harvest Hosts an RV membership program that allows travelers to stay overnight at unique locations around the country, including farms, wineries, breweries, and more. Joel is what you might call a creative hustler. As a young teenager, you could either find him selling DVDs and books on eBay or out and about shooting video. Joel loved capturing compelling video content. So much so, in fact, that he launched a business called Videoblocks, which was a marketplace for stock video footage. He grew the company, which is now known as Storyblocks, and sold it back in 2020, but not before spending a year RVing around the country with his wife. After taking some much-deserved time off, Joel began looking for his next opportunity, and that's when he stumbled upon Harvest Hosts. Tune in to hear the serendipitous story of how Joel discovered, bought, and scaled one of the travel industry's most beloved brands. All right, without further ado, get ready to meet Joel. All right, Joel, we're live, man. How are you doing today? I'm good, Zach. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. By the way, you have like a pretty sick setup. I, I should have commented on this before when we first hopped on, but you've got like these like purple, is that like purple light like that's hitting yeah, your so like, that, dresser? Yeah, because Harvest Host colors are purple, um, which I, I just think is a fun color. And it I've is never a done fun a business color. with purple. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've got purple up lighting um, and then a bunch of like 
tchotchkes. I, this is the, my office is the only place in the house. My wife lets me accumulate stuff. Like anything I want, I want to put in the house. She goes, that sounds great for your office. For your office. And yeah. So, yeah, totally. So you can see behind me, it's just like tchotchke after tchotchke. Are those llamas? Yeah. Totally. So Llamas, uh, okay. they're, 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 well, the bottom two are alpacas. alpacas the big okay. one is supposed to be an alpaca. Our, our mascot for Harvest Hosts is an alpaca. Oh, okay. Um, it, his name's Harvey. Harvey. And so, mm. yeah, these are, and the little ones behind <laughs> me, these little guys, I got them at alpaca farms. They're made out of real alpaca uh, fur. No way. Um, and it's super soft, uh, super, super fun. But yeah, we have like probably over a hundred alpaca farms in our network of hosts. Wow. And just kind of an example of the places you can stay in an RV. Kids love them. Adults love them. Like I'd never met an alpaca until I started RVing and going to Harvest Host locations. Turns out they're really cute um, animals. Yeah, yeah. I um I have not stayed on an alpaca farm, but it is on my on my bucket list. We've been to like goat dairies. We've been to like cow dairies. We've stayed at like a number of farms. And my wife and I like lived on Airbnb for uh, a year and a half. And we got to we got to see a lot of farms, but not an alpaca farm. And that was actually on my. And there are several like like uh, short term rental hosts that have alpaca farms. Um, but we haven't been able to hit that one yet. So, um, You're still love, on the you'll list. Love it. You'll love it. Yeah. yeah good. <laughs> well, good man. Um, I'm super pumped to be chatting with you. And as we were just talking about before we hopped on on the chat here, my cousin uh, who's got four kids, she just uh, they're they're back in the D.C. metro area at the moment. They're still hoping to get back out on the road, but they took like a year and a half they homeschooled their kids and they were rving everywhere and i caught up with her and i was like hey like you know you know what's what's your life like and she kept talking about this brand called harvest house and she was like it's been like a game changer this this community of folks and we get to stay at like vineyards and like breweries and i was like what like what is this and so i looked into you guys a, a little bit more and uh read for the story and i was just like i have to talk to the people behind this so i'm just super excited joel to, to be having uh this this, this chat with you. Um, before we go like too much further, I want to give you the opportunity to just give us like the Shark Tank pitch for Harvest House, like general overview. What is it? And, um, you know, why, why are we even talking about it today? Yeah, totally. Totally. I like that. Um, Shark Tank pitch has got to be concise and compelling. You got um, it. Because because there's, there's some heavy judgment. I like that. Basically, there are 13 million RV owners in North America between US and Canada. Okay. Um, all of them are looking for what you're cousin experience, which is freedom of the open road, travel, you know, see great things. And there's a lot of great things to see. One of the problems is there's not a lot of great places to stay. Hmm. And so, you know, there, there are 13 million RVs and there are 26,000 campgrounds, most of which are very boring um, parking lots. Harvest Hosts lets you stay at a winery, a brewery, a distillery, golf course, alpaca farm, museum, really elevated experiences. Hmm. So now you've got the freedom of the open road combined with a really awesome overnight experience. And that's Harvest Host. And we're a membership organization. So if you have a self-contained RV, buy our membership. It's very inexpensive, about $100 a year. And you can stay at over 3,000 places for free. Uh, and, and in return, support the businesses you visit. So, okay, how... How exactly does that work, right? So, hundred bucks a year—that's like a like a Costco membership, right? Yeah. Um, and and why, like, why, like, if I am the owner of a brewery or or a winery, right? What what is what is the incentive to let people stay at my property? Like, how how have you guys like worked that out? Yeah, totally. So so the incentive is we will bring you more business, right? Mm. So we have two hundred forty thousand members. It's growing. Um, and we'll basically approach a winery and say, look, do you want more traffic? Like, mm. do you want more um, paying customers? Uh, we could add you to our um, listing, right? Uh, it doesn't cost you anything. So never never any charge the host to be a part of our program that you just have to give our members a place to park for 24 hours. Okay. And, and our members are self-contained. So they've got <laughs> their own power, water, sewer. So the host doesn't have to provide anything but a parking place. Mm. And, and in return, our members spend on average $50 per night uh, purchasing the goods, ah. you know, whether it's produce or wine. Um, and in aggregate this year, our members will spend over 40 million directly with uh, the hosts in our network. So, so really it's it, the monetary reason is the business reason. Um, what's interesting is most of our hosts tell us the reason they like being in the program is they like sharing their lifestyle hmm. with our members, uh, which is really refreshing. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. So 
in terms of just as you as you have thought about like expanding and whatnot like what like what what is the percentage of of folks that are are these primarily like full-time RVers are these people that are like part-time RV like to just give us a quick little sense of like who your who your members are yeah yeah yeah. it it runs the gamut um I think about 20% of our members maybe less 10 10 to 15% are are full-timers okay um which tracks pretty closely to the total population. There's like a million full-timers, uh, you know, in the country, 13 million in us uh, owners, but, um, our members on average are in their RVs 30 days a year. Okay. Um, it, it tends to be a, a mixture of on the, on the older end, retired 55 and older, like enjoying their heyday, having a great time. Um, and then younger families, yeah. much, much like your cousin, right? Yeah. Like younger families out there taking the kids to cool experiences, that segment's growing really quickly. Um, and so that represents a big portion as well. Did you guys see like insane growth during COVID or like what was, what was COVID like for you? Yeah. Yeah. COVID was great. (laughs) 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 Um, no, I mean, we're in a pretty fortunate position to be able to say that, um, you know, COVID was obviously devastating for, for in plenty of ways. Um, I think for road travel, it was a very big boon. Yeah, People still needed a way to get out and, and travel because travel keeps people from going crazy. And especially in code where everything's locked down and everyone's sheltered, like you're going to go nuts if you don't go outside. Yeah. So planes are off the table. Road travel became the way to safely travel and RVing exploded because of that. Yeah. Um, so we were already seeing a lot of growth um, in RV travel before um, the pandemic because people were getting back to like authentic small town experiences that yeah. was already in vogue. Um, pandemic pulled it forward and I'd say it like doubled, it just doubled everything. Yeah. So, so yes, we saw a huge increase. And the nice thing now that we're out the other side for the most part, uh, interest in RVing and road travel is remaining high Yeah. because I think people have found it's a really cool way to see the country. Yeah. I mean, just, just anecdotally too, like I've got, more friends and some of these are just Twitter friends. Um, so according to my mom, they're not real friends, but, um, <laughs> people I know online, but then also some people like I, I grew up with who, who are like are going full time. They've like, I, uh, one of my coworkers actually, he and his girlfriend, they bought a school bus and they like did the whole like, you know, conversion and they're living yeah, like the schoolie. Full, yeah. The schoolie they're, they're living like full time in this school bus and it's like freaking gorgeous and it's it's i mean they they just they did it themselves and they literally just like learned from youtube and you know it's it's in, it's incredibly impressive and so i just i just also just feel like it's becoming something that's like less surprising like hearing that people are doing this full-time or like you know van life right my wife and i when we were in san diego um when we were traveling uh last year the number of just like hipsters living in like their vans and they open the door and it's like totally decked you know out to the yeah. nines and, and it's, when I, it's just and yeah yeah beautiful. <laughs> it's like, geez, i could i could get used to this so so it, it, it's just something that like i feel like has become way more socially acceptable and also just a really interesting compelling way to live um especially before you have to you know settle down and yet even once you settle down and have kids like there there are people doing this with families which is which is incredible you're a kick-ass airbnb host In fact, you've done such a great job at marketing your short-term rental on Instagram that you're pretty much entirely booked for the next six to 12 months. And while it doesn't happen regularly, every so often there's a cancellation or just one random three-night window of availability in the middle of the week. Now, posting about the fact that you've had a cancellation or that you've got just three nights left in February on your Instagram story is a great start, but what if you could automatically notify interested guests the second a cancellation comes through? And that's where Ping comes in. Ping makes it easy for guests to be notified when their favorite Airbnbs become available. Ping is a simple widget that lives on your website or your direct booking site and integrates with your Airbnb listing and allows your fans and followers to sign up to be notified if their preferred dates become available. Here's how it works. Jimmy sees that you're booked for the whole month of October, but he wants to be notified if any three night window in the month becomes available. Jen is a returning guest and wants to be notified if any week in June, July, or August becomes available. In a matter of seconds, Jimmy and Jen fill out the simple form and will be pinged if their requested dates become available. And as a host, you will immediately get pinged via email with Jimmy and Jen's contact information and requested dates, which allows you to build up your own database of guest email addresses. 
Ping. It's what the best Airbnb hosts use to maximize bookings. Sign up for free at www.bnbping.com. Ping, brought to you by Spontaneous. I want to I want to talk a little bit more about about you before we unpack Harvest House in a little bit more detail, Joel. When when you were growing up, like what what held your attention? Like what when when you were a kid, what were you interested in? Yeah, it's interesting. I always enjoyed entrepreneurship. And mm. I didn't know that term as a kid. It, it, I actually, I learned it as a kid, which I'll tell you in a second. It's a funny story, but I just liked selling stuff. Mm. I liked finding products. Um, and, and my first product when I was really little was rocks. So like my parents always make fun of me, but at, like three, I would collect rocks in the neighborhood and go door to door and try to sell people their own gravel, um, <laughs> give, earning me the nickname rock man. Uh, but I love the thrill of like giving somebody something in return, getting some money for it. And so as I got older, uh, that turned into collecting golf balls at a local golf course. And I built a, a little golf ball shack and I would sell the golf balls. So then people would lose their balls. I sell them back to them. It was like a step above selling them their own gravel. Um, and then the internet came around and, and when I was like 12, 11 or 12, um, that changed the game. And I got on eBay and realized, holy cow, I can sell anything to anybody. No one has to know I'm a little kid. I just have to provide a good product and a good experience. And I started selling everything. <laughs> like if it wasn't bolted down, like I was selling it. Like I was going to local <laughs> listings, buying Disney movies through the newspaper and then putting them on the internet and selling for more money because there was a bigger market. And it was such a thrill. Um, ultimately that evolved into selling software um, on eBay, became a power seller wow. uh, by the time I was 13. And I loved it. Like it was like, it was like real money. Checks were showing up every day. I had this little empire and age didn't matter. I mean, yeah. it was really cool. Internet became the great equalizer. Um, and just kind of went from there. I, you know, I went from that to, you know, your, your, your web design business, which most, I guess was like the, our generation's version of, of the lemonade stand, <laughs> build websites <laughs> instead of making juice. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just kind of kept going and, and ultimately built, um, got into stock footage. Like I loved shooting video clips huh. and sell, and I wanted to sell them. Um, and so I started, what was called footage firm turned into video blocks, built a number of companies. Video there. blocks. Yeah, I know video yep. blocks. That was you. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So I built video blocks, story block, it became story blocks, so yeah. video blocks, audio blocks, graphic stock. Um, yeah, we still, we have a the companies in courthouse, a uh, couple hundred employees. It's a great company. That's awesome. Um, I ended up selling that, selling that whole thing um, in 2020, but, but yeah, that's how it evolved. And, and so in that process, my wife and I hit the road and, jumped in an RV and traveled the whole country and ended up in Colorado. So it was a fun uh, evolution. Uh, I have to go back real quickly to video blocks because so as, as when I was growing up too, I, I like, I really liked, um, it's also selling things on, on eBay, tink, not, not as aggressively by you, uh, as you by any means, but, um, I, I really liked video too. And like trying to figure out like how to stream together, like clips in iMovie, right. And tell these stories and then upload it to YouTube and then get like, so crushed when YouTube would like, you know, first of all, it took like 10 hours to upload anything to YouTube back then. Right. And then if it did upload, like, you know, they would always like, you know, flag me because I had used some, you know, track from LimeWire or something that I had. Pirated, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, And, and what I would do is I'd get footage from video blocks. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I feel like, I feel like you at least had, uh, cause I don't know that I would have paid, I don't know how much I would have been able to pay for stuff, but you must've had like free clips or something like that. Well, or maybe... yeah, it was, it's funny. It was a pretty similar price point. It was like a hundred bucks a year. Okay. Got you unlimited downloads. You to, know what I did? I would library. do free, I would think I would do free trials and change yeah. like my email address and nice, I would change nice, my nice. email address, use the free yeah. trial. I got access and I could like download, I don't know, some clips there, but that is freaking totally. hilarious. That's awesome. Yep. Um, yeah, man, I, I, I'm with you. I loved the thrill of shooting video. I wasn't talented enough to put them together into stories. Mm. I just like, that was where my talent fell apart. I could shoot really cool clips, like sun rising over skylines and awesome time-lapse and drone content. But that was where my, my expertise ended. So then I just started selling the stock clips so that talented people like you could actually put them to stories. <laughs> so it's perfect. So where one person leaves off, the next one picks up. Ah, dude, that's awesome. That's, that's great. So, okay. So you, what inspires you to head on the road? Is it, is it COVID? Is it like, cause you, you were, we were just talking, you were in Roslyn in Northern Virginia, right, right. right at, literally like right outside of DC. Um, yep. and you were there until 2020. No, no, we actually, um, we actually left in 2016. In 2016. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so, so. Uh, in 2016, I stepped out uh, of management at Storyblocks um, 
put uh, TJ Leonard in a CEO. He's awesome. And so we had a great, great CEO, amazing team. I became chairman, which meant, you know, I could travel. I didn't have to be local. Yeah. And so my wife and I said, you know, look, we don't have kids yet. We really don't have anything tying us down. Why don't we just go nomad? Right. Mm. Like let's, let, let's just kind of be impulsive here. And we bought an RV on a whim and we bought a fifth wheel without anything, without anything to tow it. Then we went and bought a truck so we could tow it. So, I mean, we really, like, we went around, we, we, it was impulsive. Um, and then we hit the road and we thought we'd go until we got bored. Okay. And then go back to real life. And and, and what ended up happening was we just loved it. Like mm. waking up every day and having complete control over our schedules and our decision-making, like it felt so liberating. Yeah. Um, so the longer we did it, the more we got obsessed with that control and yeah. freedom. Um, and we were seeing really cool places. Like, you know, we, we had never seen most of the country. Like most of us, we nailed the coasts, yeah. like really nailed those coasts. <laughs> and, uh, and the middle part was like, it was like command and conquer when we were kids. It was all dark. I didn't yeah. know it was in there. And yeah. so, <laughs> so we just kept driving. The darkness kept lifting and it was super cool. And we did that for two years and ended up RVing through all the lower 48 States. Um, and on that journey, we were kind of looking for where we might you know, every time we go to a new place, we'd be like, would we want to live here? Hmm. You know, just, just out of curiosity, like play the Zillow game, yeah, like yeah. pretend like you're local and ultimately just loved Colorado. Yeah. And, and we'd already loved Colorado, but it reinforced how much we loved Colorado. And similarly, almost as impulsively, we like, we're like, Hey, maybe we should rent a place out here in Vail. Cause we love Vail. Um, we had a rental agent or a real estate agent showing us rentals. None of them were that appealing. And we asked them, like, we're like, are there any like houses on the market that you think are just like not priced appropriately? Like mm. they're cheaper than they should be. And he's like, yes, there's just one house that's currently got renters in it. So it doesn't show well. It hasn't been selling. I think you get a good price. We put an offer on it. We got it. And so wow. that was, yeah, it was 2016. Um, I think we arrived here by RV in May. We bought it and we moved it in June, parked the RV in front of the house and just unloaded our life from the RV to the house. It was super simple. Um, and, and, uh, and we've been here, you know, ever since six years. It's an awesome. Wow. Wow. That is, that is incredible. So you were nomading before it was like, you know, a cool thing to do. I feel like it, it, maybe 2016 there were, there were people doing it, but I feel like over the last few years in particular, uh, you know, obviously, uh, in large part inspired by the pandemic has become way more, way more normal. Um, what, what did your family think? Like did um, you, you and your wife's they, families, like what, how did they feel about your, this decision? Yeah, it's interesting. So my parents and my family, we, I've just always done things differently. So for them, there was like probably no surprise. Like, <laughs> yeah, of course he's, you know, buying an RV and traveling country. Like why wouldn't that's, that's, that fits. Um, my wife's parents were like, Hey, that sounds really cool. Hmm. We really like what you're doing. And, and shortly after we did it and they saw all of our photos, how much fun there we were having, they went and bought an RV. No way. And at dead serious. And they've now RV'd way more than us. Wow. Like it's incredible. Like right now, as we're speaking, they're just somewhere in the country rambling around. Like wow. they fell in love with it. They've, they've just been, so that's how our families reacted to it. Um, we, 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 at least, I don't think we can take credit for making RVing cool, but I, I, we can take credit for pulling some of our family into it. Now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Hey, sometimes that's harder to do, right? Sometimes it's easier to make something cool for everyone else, except your family. Um, yeah. so they're always the toughest critics. Um, so at, at what point do you stumble upon Harvest Host? Because if I did, I did a little bit of research, not nearly enough. I never do my homework fully, but um, I read a, a blog article about um, the founders and I believe uh, Don and Kim Green uh, were the original founders of, of Harvest Host. So ha, ha, at what point do your paths intersect and at what point do you even become aware that this is a, this is a thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, Don and Kim Green, amazing people. They they founded Harvest Host back in 2009. They were inspired after going to Europe and caravanning um, and using a program over there called France Passion. Okay. And so there was kind of this program that was very similar in Europe where you stay at wineries for free and support and, you know, and buy the wine. So they came back to the US and said, well, this is a cool concept. Let's see if we can make this take here in the US. Mm. And, you know, and, and to their credit, they built this two-sided network out of thin air, which is really hard to do, yeah, right? Chicken yeah. and the egg problem all day. And they did it. it. Took them nine years. They built this great network of 600 locations and a few, you know, and, and a few thousand members. Awesome. Um, I discovered them 
at, at the perfect time in, in my life. Like we had moved to, to Vail. I was no longer operationally involved in Storyblocks for a year. That was really fun. Like I was just playing, like yeah, skiing, yeah. I was camping, like awesome. Every day was awesome. Like, just <laughs> still like decompressing from running a business. And then it just all of a sudden overnight changed. Like after a year, I was like, whoa, I'm bored. Yeah. Like I need a purpose. Like I can't like all the fun without any of the work um, isn't actually that much fun. I needed the contrast. I needed like, you know, to wake up and have, a, 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 I needed to feel useful. And so I started looking for like, what's the next thing? Like, what's the next business I could build? And I spent a lot of time, like almost a year trying to figure that out. And at first it was exciting. And then it became depressing because I'm mm. like, holy cow, like maybe I'm a one trick pony and like, I'm never going to come up with another thing. And like, that's it. Like I'm retired in my thirties and, and I'm just going to be bored the rest of my life. Um, and then I kind of like, I guess it's like searching for love. I stepped back and said like, let's stop forcing this. Mm. And, and like, I, I literally just wrote down like, what are the things that I really enjoy? And top of the list was RV. And then I made a Venn diagram uh, of the things that I enjoy doing and the things I'm good at. And, and then tried to like find intersections. And so what I realized was I, I enjoyed the RVing. It was a big one. And I was good at online businesses, like building memberships yeah. specifically. Yeah. And, you know, and so Storyblocks and Harvest So is totally different beasts, but huge intersections in the middle. So that, so that's all happening. And at the same time, we're getting kind of bored with our RV camping. Okay. Like we're, we're looking for like the net, the more elevated experience. And, and so I start asking other RVers, like you, there's gotta be more than just staying in campgrounds and parking. Like, sure. What, what, you know, give me the insider secret. <laughs> and, uh, and then I started hearing about this program, Harvest Hosts. So I was like, you can stay at wineries. I'm like, no shit. Like that's genius. Yeah, <laughs> of yeah. course I want to stay at wineries. Um, and so I, I joined the program. We went and stayed at an alpaca farm in Kansas. That was the first one we stayed at. And it was incredible. I mean, it was just everything that like I had built it up to be on a pedestal. An alpaca farm run by nuns in their 80s in Kansas. Wow. Phenomenal, beautiful views. Wow. Awesome products. One of the nuns gave massages. Like everything was just awesome. to the point where we we left that. And like I've been telling that story now for four years, five years. Like, and it never get I just never get tired of how cool that place was. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, this is it. Like it's a, it's a membership business. I can take my expertise to it with my actual passion for this world and maybe build this into something really meaningful. So I reached out to Don and Kim out of the blue and just said, Hey, I'm a member. I love your business. Would you ever consider selling? Hmm. And that kicked off a conversation. And, you know, and then they said at first, no, like not interested. We like this business lifestyle business, but um, we got to know each other and I told them, you know, how I plan to, to build the business um, reasonably, right. Not, not, not sell it out, not ruin it. Like just really respectfully build this into a great business for more RVers and more businesses. And ultimately we found a price that worked and sold the business, uh, bought, bought the business in May, 2018. Wow. Wow. That is an incredible, incredible story. So <laughs> you, you basically like in, in your year of searching, you figure out what do I like? What am I good at? What are those intersection points? And then pretty like organically, right? Almost like serendipitously, all of this sort of just kind of comes together, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny. Like it reminds me of um, of a couple quotes. Like, you know, the, the, the harder I work, the luckier I get, right? Like <laughs> when, when, you're, when you're doing things subconscious, when you're priming yourself subconsciously, it's amazing how things come together. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think it's luck, um, or, or there's another favorite quote, like luck favors the prepared. Like it, yeah, sure. There's definitely like fortuitous moments, but you gotta be like eyes open and ready to grab them. Yeah. And I think that's why, like, I, I always tell people and I do this exercise this day, like every month I write down goals. Like, yeah. What am I trying to accomplish this month? And in the back of your mind, that's always sitting there. Yeah. And then when it, when it pops up, you can grab it. So I, I do have to ask, given that, you know, you're very entrepreneurial, Right. Um, why not when you see Harvest hosts, right? Why not be like, oh, well, hey, this is this is a lifestyle business. It's great. You know, the the Greens have like dedicated um, their their the past 10 years almost to building this thing. I feel like I could do something better. Like, did you, did you like why not? Why not build a competitor to Harvest hosts rather mm -hmm. than try and acquire it? Dude, I'm so glad you asked that question. Cause I think this is like the meat of the topic that I try to tell so many friends and entrepreneurs 
there's always the build versus buy debate, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's and it is. It's, it's it should be a, a discussion you always have, and look at the costs of buying versus the costs of building. And with the cost of buying, there's just very real, tangible monies required to purchase. There's also you're taking on someone else's team, someone else's like infrastructure. There's going to be some legacy issues you're going to have to fix. But if you build it, it takes a lot of time. Yeah. It can take a lot of time, right? Yeah, 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 and yeah. so, um, and you've got to go ground up zero to one. And so I did that with Storyblock zero to one. And it took me over a decade to build this into a meaningful business. And what I realized over that time is I'm not good at a lot of things, yet I was responsible for them. Hmm. I am really good at some things, but I didn't get to focus on those things exclusively. So by buying a business, you get to skip all the stuff you're not good at and then immediately go in and apply the things you're really good at. Hmm. So with Harvest Host, I realized I'm really good at online marketing, building a membership, and building products. What would have taken forever is building that network yeah. of host locations. I mean, yeah. it would have taken me years yeah. to do what they did. Yeah. Right? They did it in nine years. Let's say best case, I'm crazy successful and do it in two years. Yeah. That's two years where I can't do what I want to do, which yeah. is market and build a product and sell it. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So I skipped the line. I, I bought this great business and immediately got to start marketing it. Wow. And and we yeah, and we 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 10x the business in a year. Wow. Right. So yeah. so so like yeah. that. And that was because like, that was what I was good at. Um, couldn't have done that if I built it myself. So that's, that's like the discussion everybody should always have is build versus buy. There's compelling reasons for both. I would say that I will probably never build a business in the ground up again. Hmm. If I can instead buy one that's got good bones and lets me skip a bunch of the groundwork. Yeah. That's incredible, incredible advice. And I feel like, I feel like depending on who you talk to sometimes, like there's not enough discussion around the buy, right? Because I, I, you know what? It's it's because building is just so so much sexier. Like people like people love the the grinding, the building, right? Like and and like the idea, right? And like and and the zero to one thing is something that I think a lot of folks are are just attracted to, right? Um, and sometimes it gets a lot harder after one, right? Depending on kind of the business and and whatnot, right? So it, but but at the same time, I think to to your point, yeah, hey, you you've done this once already you recognized, hey, this is really how I want to spend my time. And I think asking that question, and I think this is something that we should all ask ourselves as, as entrepreneurs is like, where do I really want to spend my time? Not in the next 10 years, but in the next one to two years, right? Like, do, do I really want to spend my time calling up these vineyards, you know, driving I, out to breweries, like saying, hey, please join this program, right? By the way, we're, you're not going to get paid, but like, come and join this program. We're doing something really cool here. Even if, you know, they're interested in the idea, at least in my experience, like a lot of these are, are family run, like, you know, businesses, you know, they're, they're smaller, they're smaller businesses. And it takes time sometimes to make these decisions, right? Um, yeah. And, and, and whatnot. So it's, it's a, it's a really, really good question, I think, to ask yourself is like, hey, what, what am I actually good at? And where do I want to spend yes. my time in the next year? Uh, not yeah, in the next 10 years. Those are exactly right. Exactly. Totally. And, and the flip side is what am I not good at? Right. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Be, be realistic. We're not, we're not all good at everything. Yeah. And, and don't do the things you're not good at. Other people are good at them. That's yeah. the cool thing. Like you hate accounting. No worries. Some people love accounting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You love selling. Some people hate selling. So everyone's got <laughs> the things they're good at and things they're not good at. Just like do things you're good at, skip the things you're not. The only, it's funny. The only downside to buying a business is ego. And, mm. and luckily, like, as we get older, I think ego becomes less important. Um, I think when I was younger, I was probably a little too egotistical today. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> like today yeah. it's like, we care about family. You care about life and like, who cares about your, your sweet little ego, <laughs> but here's the ego thing. When someone asks, you know, when someone asks me, dude, story blocks is so cool. Like, how'd you come up with that idea? You know, I swell with pride of, well, yeah. I was shooting myself and I couldn't believe I couldn't, you know, I can tell them the origin story yeah, and I'm yeah, the guy yeah. who came up with this idea. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times with Harvest Host now, it's a pretty big company. I bump into people all, all over the place who are Harvest Host members like, oh, dude, coolest idea in the world. How did you come up with that? Yeah. And, and the answer is I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> right. And like, of course, that's like a, there's a tiny bit of the ego back there. Of going, course. 
<laughs> yeah. Don and Kim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or just be like, uh, just just a little white lie won't hurt anybody, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> just kidding. No, credit where credit yes, is due. Yes, yes, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So when you when you take over on uh, and, and you buy the business, Joel, like what how do you decide where to throw your kind of like marketing time? Like what when when you thought about this um this this marketplace, like this this two sided marketplace, like did you think we just need to go find a bunch of 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 hosts. Do we we did you focus primarily on on users? Like where where did you kind of start out? Yeah, yeah, totally. So, so at first, I looked at the network and realized we had plenty of hosts to support the number of members we had, and could hold a lot more. Hmm. So I surveyed the hosts and basically asked them like do you want more members to visit the same amount or less? Hmm. And everyone's like more, like we barely have anybody coming more, right? There were 600 locations, 6,000 members, give us more. So I started by turning up marketing for new members. Okay. So ad campaigns on Facebook and other, you know, direct response channels promoting this product, right? And we did it with beautiful videos, beautiful photos, compelling, like, Hey, come and join. And, um, and we grew really quickly, right? Like added thousands and thousands of members really fast. So now we had cash flow, right? So thousands of members are coming in, cash is 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 coming in. Then I use that money to start hiring people um, to continue on marketing for for members, but also to make sure we were growing the host network hmm. because without a doubt, this business has nothing without the host network, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I knew we needed to build a competitive moat so no one else would come in and compete. We needed to have more hosts so that people would want to keep their memberships for attention and more hosts would actually make more people interested in joining. So yeah, we very quickly um, went from acquiring members to then also focusing on recruiting hosts and then doing both. Yeah. And I love simple businesses. This is a very simple business. Yeah. We need yeah. lots of great hosts, which then attracts lots of great members which then support the hosts and it's a nice little flywheel. Um, and, you know, and we sit in the middle and make sure everything runs nicely. Was the, was the business model in terms of sort of a, an annual membership, was that, was that in place already before you, you came in or ha have you made any tweaks to, to sort of like the pricing or um, any, any, have you, you know, spun up any additional revenue streams? Uh, how, how have you thought about, how have you thought about that component of the business? Yeah. Yes. So yes, we've completely overhauled pricing the, the membership plans. Um, I would say that the, the, you know, we came in and, and luckily the original concept was membership based, but loosely, like they had tons of different plans for different numbers of stays, okay. and like number of years you could be a member. It wasn't automatically renewing. Like it was just messy. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, but, but you know, to be fair, like Don and Kim, had never done a membership business. Sure, sure. I just spent 10 years building a membership <laughs> business, right? So I was lucky to be able to come in and go, I know exactly what we need to do. Simplify. So we cut every plan. So there was one plan. You could buy one plan. It wasn't a monthly charge. It was an annual charge. Like we just took all the best practices from Storyblocks yeah. and applied them so that you didn't have, you know, you hit a sign up page, too many options blows people's minds. Yeah. We had one option all of a sudden, one option. Um, and it was underpriced. And I knew it was underpriced because- we did a lot of pricing work to figure out how much people would be willing to pay, how much were they paying, how much value were they seeing. I knew it was underpriced by like half. Um, and so we raised the price, but we did it in a kind of an intelligent way. We didn't raise it on any existing members. Okay. We said, we're going to let you keep the rate you're on because we respect your loyalty. Um, and we're going to give everybody fair warning. Prices are going up 60% in three months. So mm. you have three months to get on this, get on board before we raise prices. And that was a really cool marketing tactic because everybody flooded in, like 20,000 people flooded in, right? Jeez. Before we raised the prices. Um, so, so it really worked well as a, as a acquisition tactic, but also rewarded loyalty. So no one complained, right? Because why would you, right? No one's prices went up unless you decide not to join when we gave you fair warning. Um, and then since then, we've used that tactic a couple more times. We've raised prices um, twice. Okay. And- um, and we now have a couple of different plans. So we acquired Boondockers Welcome last year, which was another program similar to Harvest Hosts, uh, but for private properties. Okay. So okay. Harvest Hosts has 3,000 small businesses where you can stay. Boondockers Welcome has over 3,000 private properties, homes, farms, like really cool spots, but all private. 
So now they're both to, you know together. It's a, it's an upgrade membership if you want to use you know use both. Um, so we do have some different pricing plans, but we try to keep it simple. We try to really keep everything one funnel through one plan. Let them upgrade later. Um, I think the biggest mistake companies make is offering too many options. Hmm. It just creates overwhelm. Yeah, 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 yeah. No. So on that note, um, what's what's been hardest so far? Right. Like what's what's a mistake you've made and or just a, or maybe a miscalculation, right? Um, along the yeah. way since since the acquisition. You know, it's interesting. For the most part, it's just been an awesome ride. And there there's really been almost nothing negative. But I think a lot of that was because I was very intentional hmm. going in to make sure I didn't make the same mistakes I made at Storyblocks. Yeah. You know, in Storyblocks, like I started when I was a teenager and grew it through my 20s. I didn't know what I was doing. Right. I was learning on the on the on the way, but I learned a lot of lessons. And so before I took over at Harvest Hosts, I wrote all those down. I was like, here are the things I'm not going to do. Because I burned out at Storyblocks. I was like, number one, I'm never going to burn out again. Mm. And what does that look like? Mm. And so there were certain things I didn't love, like HR, like running, (laughs) onboarding and all that. So immediately I hired someone at at Harvest Host to do all that. And I can focus on product and marketing. So um, from the beginning, I was really intentional on designing the, the business so that it would support my lifestyle instead of the other way around. Hmm. Um, I live in Vail. Like I wanted to be able to ski 60 days a year, yeah. right? That's most important. Yeah. So I need to make sure the business doesn't take up so much time that you can't that, do that. Correct. If yeah. there's a powder day, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to have to make a decision between, you know, harvest host and ski slopes. Like yeah. let's remove that decision. Make sure we have the team in place so that I'm there to help where I can be helpful, but I don't have to be, it's not a nine to five. Yeah. And, and so, so really like with that construct, um, it hasn't, it's been great. Yeah. Um, now, you know, mistakes, like I think the, everyone does this, you under, when you make an acquisition, you underestimate the amount of work it's going to take to grow it, right. To fix things, to change the technology. It always looks really in a package, like, Oh, it's making this much revenue, this much profit. Wonderful. Buy it. Go forward. Yep. Um, there's always learnings, right? So, so, so just, I, I under, I certainly underestimated some of the work required to get the technology um, up to speed on Harvest Host. When we bought Boondockers Welcome, I made the same mistake again. Um, I underestimated how long it was going to take us to rebuild the technology platform so that our two platforms were on the same, you know, playing field and connected and worked seamlessly. So it took a lot longer than I thought by like, twice as long as I thought, right? Which pushed out all these like plans. You know, it it was a lot of work for the team. Um, So I think that's it. Being more realistic with how hard it is to to buy something and integrate it. Like it looks, you can, I have a tendency to oversimplify these things. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm just imagining like, yeah, getting in there and being like, oh, wow. Like you, you, you coming from sort of, your background and uh, I would imagine sort of the tech stack that Storyblocks had um, was maybe a little bit more sophisticated, maybe a little bit, you know, better integrated. And then just kind of assuming that some things were in place and, and then come to find out like, oh, wow, like, you know, we don't even have a functioning CRM or like, oh, right. wow, like our the website is like totally broken. Like yeah. we're not ranking for anything when it comes to, you know, uh, these these search terms and, and, and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah. Um, lots of great opportunities. Of course, yeah, yeah, lots of, <laughs> lots of great opportunities. I, I, I have a, a couple final questions for you, Joel. One, one is around just like travel, right? And like the future of travel. There's been lots of people um, who've who've talked about, hey, in light of COVID, right? People are gonna business travel might you know has gone down, and in, in, in by some people's accounts, they think it'll continue to to slow, um, maybe even uh, dramatically. But then there's also this kind of like funny thing happening where like personal travel, like people like doing, you know, workcations um, is is kind of uh, increasing. And then, of course, you've got all these people who now, if they're knowledge workers, they have a lot of flexibility, um, depending on obviously where you work. But people can kind of work from, you know, wherever. Um, and depending on, again, the company and the industry that you're in, that that's not necessarily going away anytime soon. So as you think about like the tra- future of travel and how people will travel when they'll travel, where they'll travel and how, you know, what, what sort of things are, are you paying close attention to or any, any sort of like hot takes or, or bold predictions about, about yeah. the future of the industry? 
Well, I think, you know, COVID was really interesting in a lot of ways. Um, one of the things that very much proved is that most business travel is not that important, hmm. right? Like what we used to think, I mean, I'll give you an example. When we did the story blocks, you know, fundraise and ultimately the sale, you had all these in-person meetings where yeah. you go and sit with the potential buyers and do presentations and like a lot of face-to-face, -face, yeah, yeah, right? And it was like, you, of course, like you're, these are big dollar amounts. It'd be insane not to do this. Well, we we ended up selling story blocks during COVID and then doing a big fundraise for Harvest Rose during COVID. Never did any face-to-face. -face. Like <laughs> it was all remote. It was all yeah. through Zoom, yeah. right? So I think it proved that most business travel is actually unnecessary. Um, so if you try to look at the, if businesses are going to try to figure out, do we put people back on the road because it's a necessity the answer is no, yeah. but I think it's actually a perk. Yeah. I think yeah. that people really like traveling Yeah, they and I do. think business trips were like an excuse to travel, get a little break from, you know, whatever your home life and get a free paid excuse to go yep. have some fun yeah. under the guise of work. Right. Yep. So I think that's how it's going to be reframed is that sure, there'll still be business travel, but like, let's just be honest about this. It's more of a perk. Yeah. It's yeah. more of a perk of like, you get to go to Las Vegas to the convention, not because we think you have to, because you can live stream that shit, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but because you're going to have fun yeah. and like companies want to make their employees happy. So that's my take on business travel. I think it comes back because people want to travel and they'll always find an excuse. Yeah. Um, and that leads to the broader theme. Like they're always, you know, pan, you know, the pandemic showed there can be major shocks to the travel system, but ultimately I think almost everyone needs travel to feel alive hmm. Yeah. and nothing will ever kill travel. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. it's hmm. like, maybe it shifts to road travel, right? Like the pendulum swung to road travel. It's now swinging back towards air travel. Air travel right now is a major pain in the ass um, to the point where like, I think a lot of people, myself included, are, I'd rather drive 11 hours somewhere than having to take a flight, yeah. right? Like the, the, yeah. the, the, the circle of how far we drive to avoid air travel is pretty big, but these things will get sorted out. Um, I do think long-term, I think road travel is back in a way that it hasn't been since probably the 60s, hmm. 50s, 60s, when like Route 66 was hot and like it was super cool to go drive to these little towns. Like that all kind of died for a while. And now people are re realizing like, hey, it's this is cool. So so I think road travel will maintain a luster for quite yeah. a while, yeah. um, even while plane travel comes back. Yeah, yeah, no, I... I couldn't agree with you you more there, even just in thinking about my own my own travel habits um, and how like I you know I was thinking about my wife and I are actually going up to Maine in Booth Bay Harbor um, next oh, dude, I next love week. Booth Bay. Oh, dude, one of our one of my favorite hosts is Booth Bay Craft Brewery. <laughs> really awesome. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna have to go get pay cool. him. A, uh, I'll go pay him a visit. Um, nice. We uh, this will be like our third time there. We just like love that area so much. Um, and anyways, we were thinking about like because from DC, it's you know I don't know like an 11, 12 hour drive or something like that. Um, and so we were thinking of flying and whatnot. And I was like, just like I I just got back from a, a another trip, and I was like, my my flight was delayed like six times. Like I it yeah. literally like I was in the airport longer than I was in the city that I was there. For, you know, I was on a quick little work trip, but yeah, spent more trip. time in the airport. It was insane. So I was like, no, nope, we're <laughs> driving. We are driving. Yep. It's, it'll be okay. At least we can yeah. control to an extent Dude, our time. That's the word control. <laughs> You've got control, and yeah. this is the thing. Like same thing. My last four flights have been delayed over three hours. I feel like. I feel like a bird in a cage. Yeah, right. You can't do Being anything. Told what to do. You yeah. can't do it. Nothing's in your control. I hate that. No. no. Get in the car. Hey, man, might take longer. Probably not, though. Um, at least you're in control. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, my my last question for you, Joel, is a lot of the folks tuning into this conversation are short-term rental hosts, uh, so a different kind of hosts, um, and, and folks who are uh, entrepreneurs kind of building businesses and um, and software sort of in and around the short-term rental space. Um, I'm curious, as you think about hospitality, obviously you have like a really kind of like unique view of this. Um, what, what you talked a little bit about like general travel trends, but any, any sort of like musings around sort of the future of, of hospitality, um, given, you know, what you know about Harvest House? Yeah. I, I think that the, the general trend there that's going to continue is that the power is being placed back in the hands of the people, hmm. right? The owners. Hmm. So landowners, homeowners, 
like Airbnb obviously blew this category wide open, yeah. made people realize, wow, like I own my space. I don't utilize it all the time. Yeah. I have the right to let other people utilize it for a fee. Um, you know, Hip Camp has done that. Yep. In camping, yep. Harvest Hosts, Boondockers Welcome. I think we're all just proving that landowners have ways to not only monetize, but just better utilize their resources. Yeah. So that's going to continue. So, so, so everyone listening that's in the hosting world, like I think this, this, this world gets much bigger over time. It, you know, if it already feels like Airbnb is the biggest thing in the world, but no, I actually think the space is just getting started. Yeah. 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 Couldn't agree more. And I think that, yeah, to, to your point, a lot of SCR hosts are kind of like wrestling with, especially those that have done a good job of building up their own brands, their distinct brands and their own collections. They're saying, Hey, it's time to move off Airbnb, right? Like it's time to, it's time to, I, I have enough of a following now that I don't actually have to pay them these fees, right? People, people right. will come and book direct. And that's a, that's a yeah. huge phenomenon that like we're, we're just on the cusp of. So, um, yeah. will be really interesting to see how that continues to grow. But Joel, thank you so much for your time, man. This has been a privilege. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. I am a huge, huge, huge fan and looking forward to staying in touch. Yeah, Zach, this is a blast, man. Appreciate that. Appreciate you inviting me on. Yes, and if uh, folks are interested in learning more about Harvest House, we'll have social handles and website links and all that kind of fun stuff in the show notes below. So just go ahead and scroll on down and see what Joel and the team are up to. All right, thanks, man. Thank you. Hey friends, hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you are an Airbnb host or know an Airbnb host who'd like to come on the show, please send me an email at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com and we will chat. Behind the Stays is brought to you each week by Spontaneous, a carefully curated weekly newsletter that brings you the best last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. It's sort of like Scott's cheap flights, but for Airbnb. You can sign up once again for free at spontaneous.com. Last but certainly not least, I didn't believe in Marie Kondo's whole spark joy mantra until I started podcasting. Now, my joy is sparked every time I see a new subscriber roll in. So please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And so you add a little spark to my joy fire today. Okay, that was kind of weird, but um, we're going to roll with it. Subscribe. Um, and thanks in advance. All right, everyone. See you next time.